This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Kia ora everyone and welcome to another episode of Creatively Wired. Um, today's episode is a little bit different where I'm of course joined by Paul Bradley but our guests are Jeremy Mail and Paul Bradley. <laughs> we're gonna... it's, it's the end of the year, we're trying something out. <laughs> yeah. We're going to unpack some things, we're going to talk about similar ideas, we're going to celebrate each other. Um, it, it'll be a journey of some kind that's going to emerge over the next hour. So thank you for being here with us. <laughs> um, so I'll introduce Paul. So Paul is a, is a, a visual artist. He's a, a creator. He's a he's a, a meditator. He's got some some Zen skills, uh, and his primary work is kind of between murals, so really large scale murals, and and live video projection, right. time based manipulation of visuals. I guess. Um, and and the kind of fusion between those things is is starting to emerge, and I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I never quite know how to describe that projection work either because it doesn't really sit in a in a space that where other people are doing the same thing. So that was, that was a good that was a good go. You had a good run up at it. Thanks. <laughs> Do my best. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Cheers for that. And um, so I'll introduce Jeremy. So. Jeremy is a musician, he's a composer, um, but he's much more than those things because he is a what I, what I call a serial collaborator. Um, he has worked with, well, it's probably going to be impossible to try and list them all, but dancers, theatre people, um, myself, um, painters... Um, he's worked with smell artists, if that's a term, yeah. um, people making sense. Um, he's, um, in a, we, we're in a band together called Dr. Mesmer's Private Army, which is a audiovisual um, improvised collaboration, and also in a band uh, called Electric Shadows, which is um, also um, an a improvised collaboration, but with just Jeremy and myself rather than with other people as well. So there's a lot going on there, and I could probably spend the whole session describing what Jeremy does, but that <laughs> hopefully gives a bit of a sense. Um, so where did you get started? Like, what, Have you always been drawing? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I remember um, a while ago finding it a strange question when people were like, how long have you been making art for? And then I realised that actually not everyone, like for most people they make, Pretty much everyone makes art when they're kids. Mm -hmm. For some really weird reason, people stop at a certain age. They decide that it's 
um, they no longer it's no longer relevant or maybe it's childish or something. I, I don't know, but for most people who actually stop and I didn't really realise that and because I had immersed myself with a world with artists, although I had seen some, you know, I didn't know people who, you know, it wasn't just entirely in that world. So yeah, I, for me it's just been a whole way through. So um, I didn't feel the urge to stop. So I definitely loved drawing and painting as a kid. Um, and then I did that through high school and then um, I toyed with the idea of doing some some non-art stuff as an adult, but that idea didn't last long. And then I did trained at Unitech in Auckland, did a, actually a design degree, but it was a pretty loose, when I say loose, a really broadly defined um, program where I actually ended up focusing more on painting and illustration and video work as well. Yeah. Sweet. And so then from Unitech to Wellington? Oh, so um, so I did, in, when I graduated, I did end up working as a designer. So I, my, I, I got my first real job as a, at a design studio, and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I went from, you know, imaginary dream projects at, at Unitech to actually just making kind of awful stuff for awful companies. Can you design my logo? <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't mind doing logos. I, I, I have done a lot of that for small businesses, but it was more like... Um, Oh, there was a lot of ethical conundrums. Of I ended up right. designing packaging for Nestle and companies like that, which are just awful, awful companies. Um, hopefully, they don't sue us <laughs> for, for me saying that. But um, so I, I quickly realised that um, I needed to get out quickly. But I, I, I hung in there for a year and managed to save enough money to buy a um, at that stage a, an Apple G3 tower, which was um, wow the thing at the time. Um, I'm sure this must be hardly any of them exist anymore, but that was enough to then start my own design company after that. When I say design company, it was just me as a freelancer. But So I worked as a designer, um, did that for quite a long time, maybe like 10 years or something in Auckland, and then uh, realised that it was, just, um, it was just taking all my creative energy and at the end of the day of designing, um, I, the last thing I felt like doing was painting or... Um, animating or playing with anything creative. Um, so I <clears throat> rashly decided to stop being a designer and to move from Auckland to Wellington and just focus purely on art, which I did. Um, but that was supplemented in, with um, teaching in all sorts of various places as well, um, just to make ends meet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I haven't really looked back. So, And then it's, uh, uh, after six years in Wellington, I moved to... Hamilton, and then continued um, in a similar sort of way, but working at Creative Waikato and then doing art alongside that. Yeah, and so you managed to find that that balance that allows substantial time for, or always could be more time for creative practice alongside a kind of work that is complementary to that process. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've, I've, in the past, I've been lucky enough, I guess lucky, to um, to be able to spend almost all of my time making art. I, I did have a period of time doing that in Wellington, which sounds like the dream. I actually found it, there were a couple of things that were problematic about it. One of them was that it was almost too much. Like I was in my studio the whole time and I needed to get out and have some non-art, non-creating experiences. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a bit too much in my own head and it was a bit too intense and... Yeah, it didn't quite work for me in that way. But 
the other thing is um, because I was reliant on that art making for income, it meant that if someone came along and said, we need this thing done, then I felt really obligated to say yes no matter what. So I felt like it, like that you can easily get compromised in that space mm -hmm. of like, I'm going to do this creative thing for this person even though it's not really what I want to do as a creative person. So there's definitely pitfalls to that. So I, I, you know, I find having some income, so I work three days a week at Creative Waikato, but having that base income means I can be really picky about what I do. I don't need to. I've sort of got my life set up, and I do feel really fortunate in that way where I don't have to accept every creative job that comes. It's, I now think more like, is this progressing me in a direction that I'm interested in or tapping into the ideas that are really um, exciting for me at the moment? And if they're not, then I get to say... Mm. I think so. <laughs> so it becomes really focused on that creative expression and like personal development as, yeah. a, as a way of kind of this is the thing that I want to be doing because it's interesting and engaging and it's expanding my practice in some way. Yep, definitely. Yep. And I think that has come with age as well. Like I think when I was younger, I just used to say yes to everything. Um, it's weird enough now that I have two sort of different art forms that are running alongside each other, but I used to have more because I just couldn't say no. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, you, I mean, you can learn from everything you do. So there's often there is benefit in doing all sorts of stuff. But I think w the age that I'm at now, now, now that I'm in my 40s, I really feel really clear about the sorts of things I want to say and the things I want to achieve. So I've got kind of a really clear direction I want to move in. Rather than sort of you know that kind of more youthful energy of jumping all over the place at, and at kind of anything that seems shiny, <laughs> and, and so I think now most people would, if, if they're thinking of Paulie B, a lot of people are thinking of murals. Mm -hmm. How has working at that kind of scale always been a part of your practice, or is that new? It's new, so or newish. So I painted my first mural, um, my first solo mural, five years ago. Right. Yeah. So I hadn't done that at all until I moved to Hamilton. Um, I had kind of coordinated a large-scale youth mural in Wellington, which was probably fairly soon before I left there, and then I didn't do anything for a few years, and then yeah, and then just started. Um, so I, I, I kind of started fairly late in life compared to a lot of people who do mural work, but. Um, I have lots of friends who do it and I was just super interested in it and it seemed like a, just a good challenge. So the creative process with that, how how is it functionally different to like small scale artworks? Because I assume that's what you were doing prior to yeah. five years ago. Yeah, well always, always um, video and, and always um, video with... A performance alongside music kind of focus. So that's been a constant, well, since um, since I was at Unitech when I had access to equipment to be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, before that, yep, you're right, I was doing um, smaller scale stuff. Um, to be honest, like uh, painting a mural is not that different. So right. people, often people are like, how do you do something so bad? It's It's just... It's just a big version of the same thing, but bigger. Small paintings, like I mean, there's, there's. It's definitely very physical and quite demanding. Um, there's things you have to consider that are different, like how to make something 
how to design something that will work on, on scale um, to make something achievable. Um, but it's actually just pretty much the same but thing. You just create, a process trade in for bigger brushes and rollers and spray cans rather than these smaller brushes. But I mean, weirdly now I find it hard to paint small because it feels too fiddly. Yeah. So that's my challenge now is I actually want to start painting small again. But when I hold a little brush, it feels weird. I'm used to big arm movements rather than little mm. finger movements. So, which is interesting though, because when I think about the video work, although the experience of it is mural-esque in mm. that it's projected, mm. the delivery of it is often quite small. It's very subtle movements and very subtle line making that becomes big. Yeah. So is there, what is the kind of difference in that process for you? I, th I, th I mean, I think it's just familiarity with tools. Mm. So I'm familiar with the tools that I use for um, the projection work. And I could I can become familiar again with the like I still have fine motor skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to retrain them around a small a small brush. Yeah. So um Yeah, does that answer that question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I do find that the there's something really magical about the projection work that I mean, I think that the fact that you see visual art, which is often a static thing, evolve over time, I find really interesting mm. because it the layers and the journey become part of the experience that in static visual art is often hidden because mm. it happens in a studio. And so those layers still happen and the lines and the things emerge, but no one sees it. Where in the projection, this process of creation and this process of things emerging and revealing themselves is a really beautiful parallel to the creative process in general. But also the, the way that, because of the way that you think about things, the the transformations that occur with really subtle shifts are profound. Um, is is that sense of change something that has always been a part of the video work, or is that kind of emerged over time? Um, no, I think it's always been a part of the performance work. I've definitely been able to kind of hone that through working with people like yourself. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll sort of I'll describe my journey a little bit because that will help yeah. answer that question. So I started doing video performance work um, well, a long time ago now, um, probably the early 2000s. <clears throat> and at that stage, as a, as a young person, it was, I mean, I, I enjoyed the art form, but also I realised that I could go to um, dance parties and festivals well, for free, or sometimes I get paid. <laughs> I was like, "This is this is this is the ticket. This is I've cracked it." So, um, and in those days, it was it was so random though. Like we had DVDs usually, and a mixer. So it was kind of like turntable turntablism, but with um, DVDs and just mixing between whatever pre-made stuff, um, and 
usually for a DJ that doesn't even really know that you're there. Like you're sitting often in a sound booth and they're on stage and they don't really look behind them. They're too busy doing their thing. And so it was really sort of an, an, an afterthought and um, it was kind of fun trying to keep up with a DJ because you don't know what they're going to play next and if your stuff's going to work and you have to try and stay on your toes to keep up with it. But it was not a collaboration. Um, so um, fast forward a bit and then I started playing... So some friends of mine um, had set up a band called the Mamaku Project, um, which was a live live band with live instruments as well as some electronic stuff. And we were, when I was living in Wellington, we one night, you know, with bottles of wine and stuff, we were tutuing around in a lounge room and I was just mucking around with a video camera that I had and just whatever was at hand and just jamming. And they were like, this is actually pretty cool. So I developed a live performance where I was doing drawing for them and then had video clips that were triggered from MIDI signals from the electronic um, part of what they were doing. So it was all synced up um, beautifully and then it had a live aspect as well of me drawing. I did a separate drawing for each song. So people would actually see in the projection my hand moving with a pen and then the drawing emerging. And um, For me, I mean, that, that's obviously something I've seen a million times because when you draw you look at your hand making lines but others like people would over and over say you know say to me that was super mesmerizing watching you draw and wondering what it was going to turn into and just seeing that evolution and through the song um yeah and then um that band stopped existing um and then yeah when I started working with Dr Mesmer's private army I set myself the challenge of I'm going to turn up to a gig with no pre-made video at all, which is something that I'm not really aware of other... Well, I'm sure there must be, but I haven't met any other um, <clears throat> live video artists that do that. But for me, I was like, that's what someone with a musical instrument does. They, they just turn up with their instrument and they make stuff live for that audience in that moment and then that it then doesn't exist anymore. So I really love that challenge because I've always loved music, but I've never really bothered to learn how to play it. So so playing, so I think of the visuals as a way of doing that. So I'm thinking still of texture and tempo and you know the, having the right feel and how it connects in with all the other instruments. Yeah. So then I, that that's where that setup came up um, from, where I had a little camera pointing down at a LED um, surface, so this sort of backlit surface. And then I would move things around like bits of fabric or bits of paper. Um, I'd draw things. It sounds kind of rudimentary, but it, it does become quite a sort of like another thing. It doesn't look like just like the thing that's happening with my hands. It sort of transforms into um, an artwork on the on the screen. And part of that is the looping process. So I'll make a movement, record it through a laptop and then play that back and then make another live movement over the top. So, yeah. So that's that's the very long version of what I do and how I got to doing what I do. But the collaborative aspect and the kind of live aspect is what really fascinates me. And so the, that collaborative aspect and how that informs the creative practice and, and also with the fact that you're turning up with nothing pre-made, what is that practice like for you? Like, how are you refl 
how do you approach the the theme or reacting to the sound or what is the kind of underlying process? Um, you mean what, like once I'm on stage kind of thing, like yeah. the actual live? So I think, I mean, from what I understand, it's very similar to other musicians, like a little bit, well, the first time I did it, it was completely nerve-wracking because I'm like, what the, what the heck am I doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have the safety of pre-made clips. But so, I mean, I still get a little bit nervous, but in a good way, just in a sort of motivating way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, for me, very much about <clears throat> not forgetting that the audience is there, but letting go of the idea of the audience and their focus and their expectations and being really connected in with what's in front of me and the music. So it's, it's, it is being super present in that moment. Um, there's a lot of focus. So, and again, I think this is, will be familiar to musicians, but it's kind of like in every single moment, what I do is important. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a constant concentration around, you know, what, what am I, what am I hearing, and how does this translate into movement, and then really feeling that? So it's it's, but it's it's not very cerebral. It's not it's a feeling thing. It's quite intuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we and we've performed lots of times, so part of that is is from that. Is you, you know, the more you, the more you do something, the more you feel it rather than think it. Hmm. Yeah, which is a really good uh, creatively. That's that's a really great space to be in. I think with with anything, like I find the same with drawing or painting or anything. It's like when you're feeling it, that's often the magical kind of place where you've made something. You're like, wow, was I? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, when I think about it in terms of like what I'm doing in that context, it's over the time that we've played, you built we build up a vocabulary that is what. I think Dr. Mesmer's is, and it's a set of gestures and textures and ways of thinking and operating and listening that you've kind of got this palette of things that are available, Mm. and you bring them out and combine them in different ways in the moment in response to everyone else. But there is, I know when I listen back or look back on things, each one is different, but they're also the same. Mm. Like there, there's a similarity, which I think comes from that collection of gestures and techniques and things that you can, in the same way as having a conversation, you have a set number of words that you know and use and you string them together in the moment in response to one another. Mm. I think that's the really beautiful thing about how that collaboration works is that there's enough of a sense of a group, a, a, a trust, a um, willingness to express that you mm. can just sort of be like, okay, now I'm going to drop this thing in for for anyone and know that everyone else is going to pick up on that and yeah, absolutely. That. I think that I think that relationship thing is is a really key thing. Like I think when you develop a band to a point where it's making good stuff it's like you've developed what you do as an individual but you've also developed a relationship with the whole band I think that that's something I I didn't really realize until I started 
really properly kind of collaborating with musicians and going, oh, okay, I get it now. Like, this is how you make good stuff, is you really understand each other and the space that everyone occupies. Yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, quite, I found that quite profound. Mm. Mm. It's a really rewarding experience in that, like, you, I think you're aware that the audience is there, but actually it's just about being with your friends and making some stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's really, like, I rem every time I come out from it feeling, like, energized and, like, and yeah. it's, it's a physical thing and it's an exhausting thing to do, particularly because we work at quite long time scales. We don't, yeah. we don't do 20-minute gigs. Up, or up to nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's physically demanding but it's always quite energizing to be part of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably a good sign. Hey, like I think if it's, if you're energized, then you're probably doing something right. If you're totally exhausted, then maybe there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're fighting for space in the band or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, right. I, I feel like we should talk about you because we're about halfway through already. Sweet. <laughs> this is more of a whirlwind tour of, of two creative practitioners. Well, how did how did you get started? Were you always tutoring around with music? Yeah, I, like I learnt piano from the age of five. My mum um, was a piano pianist and a piano teacher, and my dad um, always he never learnt music, but I think he regretted not having that, and so they were both really um, supportive of that. And I like every kid learning piano. I like did some practice and didn't do enough and didn't take it seriously and then went to high school and stopped playing piano altogether and started playing drums and playing bass and harmonica and singing and playing and all kinds of other things. Um, and then was composing a little bit then but not heaps but interested in technology and interested in different styles of music and how they kind of related to one another. And then after high school I thought, wow, I can't be a musician, so I'll enrol to study law. Right. And and was enrolled and was filling out a scholarship application to, and you had to write a page on why you wanted to be a lawyer. And I spent like two weeks and couldn't even lie my way through it. <laughs> so I figured that it was probably not the right thing to be doing. Right. And um, so, yeah, pulled out of studying law and went into doing a Bachelor of Arts. And I picked that because I could kind of tailor my own degree. And so I did mostly music papers, but a bunch of film papers and a bunch of theatre papers. Hmm. And so I could explore what it was like to perform in different aspects and learn technology and learn kind of theories behind things. And, and so that's where I started and would make the work that I needed to make for my course, but then was colla started collaborating and started making work outside of that with people that I met through courses and people that I just kind of met at gigs and things. And that's where that kind of process of saying yes to everything and, and collaborating with as many people as I could to develop my own work and develop my portfolio and taught myself how to record things, um, started like going to studios and seeing what was going on there, working as a technician, like a lighting technician and sound technician to kind of get an understanding of how that worked um, and had really supportive parents that were like, yeah, 
like do it like do whatever you want and so it was um very privileged in the depth and breadth of what I was able to explore in that time and so then yeah did my bachelor's and then did honors and masters and all the time was doing a mix of teaching and gigging and writing things for people um and so from that point of starting as a Bachelor of Arts have been making mm. music and art ever since. Um, and every so often you go through that thing where it's like, oh, why, why am I doing this? It's so hard. And like, maybe, yeah. maybe I should go and become a banker or something. And th- that lasts for about a week and then I realise why it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Carry on. And I think the idea that being an artist is... Uh, is, is easy or or is um, a kind of cop out? I think coming from people who don't understand what right. that process really is. Yeah, I often think it's the hardest thing, one of the hardest things you could possibly choose to do for lots of reasons. Yeah, you know, money. It's just in itself is a very difficult thing to do. It's not a clear. There's no clear path for how you should make work or continue to make work, and it's naturally part of the process for most people. is full of doubt. Mm. As well, well, um, and there's no there's no definitive answer to it. So there's no right piece of music or art or anything, mm. and it, it will be right to some people and not to other people. And in most other things, there is some sense of like this is the thing to be doing. Yeah, where it like you, there's plenty of stuff that exists that is really popular that I really can't stand, and there's some stuff that I like that. I can't understand why no one else likes, and that's just the nature of yeah, yeah. What art reflects for people and yeah. in people, yeah, that's right. It's it's part of being a creative person and sharing your work is accepting that there'll be pe- always be people who don't like your work, mm. <laughs> which is quite weird. Like totally, but I mean, of course, of of course, that's a true thing. Well, and it, it, you, you're only going to be disappointed if you think that. It, you are making something for everyone because it, it, it's always going to fail at that. Yeah, if you were aiming for that, you'd make something super bland to try and please everyone and then people would hate it for how bland it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that, that, yeah, that willingness to explore and, and coming to terms with the fact that it's not for everyone and even that the quest for making a perfect piece of art is is kind of pointless. Mm. Um, I knew some people who were working on albums and they worked on this album for like two years and ended up hating every song on it mm. because they kept trying to... Like the songs were really magical and beautiful when they were first recorded, but the nature of digital recording means you can keep going back and tweaking things and you can keep going back and I'll re-record that or I'll change this reverb or I'll change this thing or I'll tweak this thing or I'll move this and ended up with this product that theoretically was great like really beautifully recorded well mixed well everything was there but none of the inherent human magic was Mm. there because it had all been polished out so all of those kind of weird eccentricities and quote-unquote mistakes or faltering pitch or whatever that gives something a character yep. was removed to the point where they had spent two hours, uh, two, two years on this thing 
that they hated, that they didn't want to listen yeah. to. And it's just like that whole quest to... Uh, I realised quite early on that that was not what I wanted to do. Because I've also spent two years of their life not actually progressing their creativity. They've spent two years mucking around with engineering concerns rather than creative concerns. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're already further back than what they might you know, ultimately like to be. Yeah. Which, which I think is, is a... Yeah, is a nice way into understanding how you work because you really do produce a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think partly that comes like my my dad was always someone to kind of get in, get stuck in, and just do things like not mm. to not to delay. Um, and so I guess part of that comes from there. But yeah, part of it is just like I'm fascinated by the process of making mm. things, and once it's made, I want to move on and make the next thing. And so I don't tend to dwell on the process too much. Um, and my creative process is one that there's usually a couple of different things going on in the back of my mind that I'm aware of but not really consciously thinking of. Um, and then when it comes time for them to be ripe, the 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 picking, the actual making of the thing mm. becomes quite easy because it's been floating around in the back of my mind and I've been thinking about it and sometimes it's active and most of the time it's not. But in that process, structures emerge and the kind of character of something and the types of textures and the types of shape emerges so then it becomes much more of a like okay I, I've worked out what this is mm. and I can use the technical facility that I have to realize it relatively quickly and then we'll kind of do it sit back on it for a week or so come back and look at it with fresh eyes and then I'm like okay if there's nothing about it that leaps out to me as being oh that's really terrible I need to fix that that's kind of the the done point mm. because then because I know that there's probably heaps of little things that I could do to make it better, but the fear is that that will make it worse as well, yeah, or will make something else in it worse, yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm okay with this. This is great. I'm going to move on, and I think from that, I can go back on the things that I've made twenty years ago. And yeah, I wouldn't make them the same way now, but I don't have any real animosity towards them because they were just positive memories of a thing that happened at that time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've grown as an artist and I would no way make that same music, but I'm not embarrassed by it. or like It is what it is and it was what was made at the time with the gear that I had available and what I needed to express at that point. And it's... That I, I find that really rewarding, and that like I I'm not I know some people are like oh don't listen to the thing that I did ten years ago it's so right. bad yeah yeah well also like you had to make that to be able to make what you make now like yeah. that was part of the journey you you can't you can't actually skip ahead yeah. you have to do the work yeah you've got to, you've got to get the shit out before the, <laughs> before the good stuff comes yeah and I think that you know part of part of being able to do this weird thing that we all do, this creative thing, is learning to be kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and, and that's definitely something that I have had to learn and relearn, 
is if we judge ourselves too harshly or put too much pressure on ourselves in different ways, then it just it just destroys us, like creatively and as a person, you know. So if we're looking back all the time going, oh, that was so rubbish, like what was I thinking, then you're really not honouring that part of yourself that was doing their best at that time and was doing the important work that got you to do the stuff that you do like, mm. you know. You can't just magic up the the great stuff from nowhere. There, there are two goals, I think, in in the way that I, I try to work. And, and one is to do to do the best work that I can do at that time. So always a, a continual kind of process of growth and development. Um, and the other goal is I want to make life. I want to make the world interesting. And if that's just interesting to me, that's fine. But the goal is for it to be interesting, mm. and so so long as I'm finding something from the doing of that, that's interesting to me, and then I'm achieving the thing that I'm setting out to do. Mm. I love that as a goal. That's great, and and it's a really it's it's something that is it's not only applicable in my arts practice. It's it's life. Like, mm. what am I doing today? To make the world interesting, mm. and I think that's that so good because it's not. The, I think the main sort of messages we get from the world are not that, but what would the world be like if there weren't people who were just following whatever seems interesting? You know, it'd be awful if we, if we were all just you know <laughs> machines working away, being productive, and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and and that's what's taken that quest for is this interesting or, or am I curious about what this thing is has what's led to like so many entertaining stories and experiences like being a children's entertainer or a pro wrestling commentator or <laughs> <laughs> setting world food records and, and writing the first symphony for turntables and orchestra and like playing theremin with the AP, like saying yes to things and being like, oh, this seems like it will be interesting, Yeah, is is really rewarding. Yeah. And particularly earlier in my career where there were less demands on time and less commitments and I could kind of go and be wherever I needed to be at that time and, and just be in that thing. It was really easy to just be like, yeah, yeah I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And that has built this being a serial collaborator is, is mm -hmm. it's always interesting because the process of collaboration I think you get to grow by experiencing the the knowledge and depth of work of the person you're working with because mm. creativity as a human understanding I think is innate in everyone it just lies dormant in a lot of people um, and if you're working with someone who has that thing firing there's always going to be something to learn because their way of approaching things may be different but somewhere in the middle or somewhere in that conversation you learn a new technique or a, yeah. a new reflection or a new or the thing that you have to do to make your work be complementary to the work of the person you're working with will shift the way that you comprehend that process. Yeah. Yep. And that is a great tool for personal development and for expanding your own 
hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just continue to do the same stuff that you're doing your own when you're working with someone else. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that, that thing you're saying about, you know, what is most interesting, I think that is that ties back to what I was saying before where when my primary or one of my primary sort of um, concerns was making money from art, then it stopped being a question of what is most interesting and became a question of what will pay the bills. So that's why I had to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think I do have that same drive as well. Um, well, it's it's weird creative practice it it can be creativity and and art as a thing i think can be like trade or it can be research mm. yeah a, a, very seldom is it both yeah sometimes but but if it's trade it's it becomes like you have a range of artistic skills and creative skills and impact that you put on things but you're able to do that thing quickly because of your experience and because you can rely mm. on the knowledge that you have and you know that putting this thing here is going to achieve the thing that they want and so it becomes much more functional than experimental where when art is research it's asking a question mm. and that quest- the result of that question may not be the thing that our client is looking for, but it's certainly the thing that you might be looking for as an artist. Yeah, and also, you, as soon as you start doing some of this stuff, you start introducing risk and failure, and I imagine that part of, well, I, I know for me, but you know, with, with you, that part of it must be um, being comfortable that if you compose something with an orchestra and turntables that it's going to be super interesting for you because no one had done it before, but there will be people who will be totally hating on it because you're mm-hmm. you're destroying their world. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Or it might just not work. It, yeah. It, it, might be, it might not actually be a good piece. There's a reason why no one else has done it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think that there is something really interesting in making a thing and, and, and sharing it with people and seeing what the response is. And I've had some really beautiful responses to works where uh, I've had someone say, I came to this because I wanted to support, but I expected to really dislike it, but I loved it because of this thing and this thing and this thing. It's like, mm. that's really beautiful. And that you purposefully came here like out of, out of duty, but expecting to be disappointed. Yeah. And, and somewhere in there you found a thing that resonated with you. Yeah, I, I, I got that from the Sonoscopia show, which was, um, for the listeners, was a show that um, Jeremy composed the music, I performed live visuals, and then we had a, um, a bunch of local orchestral players um, performing it live. So mostly the audience I think we got, or a lot of the audience anyway, was people who would normally go to classical music, but it was a very different experience. And after that, someone came up to me and said, I really don't know what to think about this. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to think about it, but I really don't know, you know, what to make of it. And uh, to me, that was brilliant. I yeah. was so excited. You know, th- in some ways, that means so much more to me than someone going, "Oh, that was cool." Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, there, there's something about I in everything that I make, and, and you may be the same, but I am saying something 
in the work that I'm making. It, it is always saying something. But I'm less concerned about the audience necessarily knowing the thing that I'm saying. I'm more concerned that they find something in it. Mm. So that in that way, the work is about communication. And if I say something and you get something, then that is a rewarding experience. Whether or not you got that this piece is unpicking this very specific idea isn't as much of a concern to me because I think that the experience of art will reflect in you what you need to kind of yeah. unpick at yeah, that yeah. time. And so, yeah, if you get those responses where it's like, I don't know what to think about this, but but I'm going to think about it, you know that there has been some kind of exchange of ideas. Mm. It may not be super clear in the beginning, or, or and sometimes it is really clear. Mm. I mean, uh, Horamona and I were performing in New York, and we had this guy come up to us afterwards and said, um, I don't know what you did, but like whatever you played made me feel like home, and I'm, I'm a New Yorker from New York, and I've never really felt that, but listening to your music made me feel like I was at home. Wow, and it's like, what? What is that tapping into? Yeah. Like <laughs> this kind of fusion of piano and electronics and tango portal in a club in New York near Times Square resonated with this American in a way that he hadn't experienced before. Mm. There's something really beautiful about that. Yeah, even if it stays a mystery forever, which it sounds like it probably has. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah I've become quite comfortable with the idea of things being sort of accidental or people overlaying their own readings. Like, for, uh, there, there was an adjustment for me there because I trained as a, more in the commercial arts with graphic design and illustration. Those are languages of, generally, of more direct communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an intention, we're going to, you know, uh, portray that visually and then we, we want the receivers of that to, to think a certain thing or to receive a certain message. And... It took me a while to let go of that, but now I really love that I could have this huge idea behind something. It doesn't matter if people don't get that. But what what does matter to me is that the work carries uh, a feeling or a presence and that there's enough kind of interesting aspects of it. Some kind of I think of them as little hooks, yeah. but there's enough little hooks in there that someone will be... Um, willing to spend some time with it and um, thinking for themselves what that might mean to them. Yeah, and then, and, and from that perspective, it's like there's no wrong. Like whatever, whatever you decide, like that's great. It, it's you know, as long as you spend some time, then that's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like that idea of graphic design as being this like clear communication thing. I think the, the similar thing for me and my practices in film music. Is like mm. you want people to experience that yeah. thing, feel that this way, or... aligns with the clear narrative, and, yeah. and there are some tools that you can use, which is an interesting process to think: how does this abstract collection of vibrating sounds make someone feel a certain thing? Mm. And there are tropes, and there are kind of genre tools, and there are things that you can use to do that. And then it's interesting to then take that understanding and 
you, it, it also becomes part of that toolkit that you can use in this more broader, abstract, pure art sense that sometimes will suggest things and sometimes you can overlay and juxtapose two different suggestions to elicit something else. Mm. And I think that that's really, really interesting. I mean, that the human experience of the world is fascinating to me. Yeah. That's kind of the the exploration behind most of the multi-sensory work that I've been doing in the last five, eight years, something like that. Um, the fact that we all experience the world through all of our senses all of the time, but most of the time things are only targeting one of them, mm. which means there's a whole bunch of the experience of that thing that is being manipulated by either the place that it's in or mm. whatever. So if, if there's things that I can do that enhance the immersive experience of that thing for people, that's really fascinating. Like how does, and I think that's what's really beautiful about the work that, that we do is that there's a visual element and a sonic element and you those are, the kind of primary senses for a lot of people. Like, mm. that's the thing that the world mostly communicates with us through. Yeah. And taste and smell and touch are super important and really powerful, but often left to chance. Yeah, and a bit harder to perform on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to ensure that everyone has the same scent around them. Yeah, um, or to move from quickly from one scent to another. Yeah. <laughs> But but those are things that are worth exploring because I think that, that that again alters the way that we kind of engage with work. Mm. Yeah, and to me, like how these things intersect with people's like that that fundamental drive that we all have for meaning making. You know, I think that's what it, that's what it all comes down to for me is like people are, are looking for meaning. Art and creativity is a space that that can hold a lot of that in a really potent way mm. um, and in a way that is unique from other types of meaning making um, I think that's where a lot of the value lies and, and if you think about it in those terms it's like well they people already are trying to make their own meanings we get to kind of steer them in different directions but actually it's not a thing that can be controlled but it's definitely worthwhile and definitely fascinating. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really um, <clears throat> motivated by or inspired by um, koans, which um, Richard von Stemmer talked about a few, few couple of episodes back. Um, and this idea that you, uh, that you put these kind of prompts out. So in a koan, it, I mean, the, the most famous one is, you know, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Or <laughs> but it's, it's kind of the very cliche one, but and they tend to be a lot more clever than my art is. <laughs> but, um, you know, that you you kind of throw these things out there and that it does something weird to people's brains. Like, mm -hmm. that is often what I'm aiming for. It's like, it doesn't necessarily need to make sense, but it does need to be intelligent. And and then it hopefully will do something interesting to people. But that's all I actually kind of <laughs> ask for now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still quite, you know, there's, uh, there's a, uh, it takes a lot of skill to achieve all that, I think. Yeah. It's, 
it's such a rewarding experience to be able to take the time to immerse yourself in someone else's idea of what's interesting. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, that that's a big part of why collaboration is important to me, but also why just going to see other things mm. is is really interesting because that's a that exhibition or production or gig or whatever is a collection of the things that that person found interesting enough to work on for an extended period yeah. of time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's really good for anyone creative to go to something that you just find awful. And not awful in a way that it's bad quality, but in a way that you're totally out of your depth. You don't know what's going on or why that person made it or why it exists. It might actually be an unpleasant experience even to be there. But that is, if you can stay present to that, that's a super powerful experience. Because for you, how much of your work is consciously reflective of your experience? Um, I... It's a hard question to answer because I don't really create work from that place. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I'm, I'm sure it all is because I, I'm making it and uh, you can't make something from nothing. But I don't, it's not like I have this experience or this story that I want to translate into art. It's more like something about this combination of things really interests me and it does something interesting to my brain. So I'm going to share it with people because. <laughs> Hopefully it will do the same to some of them. It's more like that. And it's, so it's not sort of, I don't really think a lot in terms of storytelling or in terms of narrative. Yeah, even though I think they exist there. It's more just like a more in the moment thing, like what will this do to someone who, who sees it? Mm. Yeah, what, what about you? This is very similar <coughs> in that it's very much based on what the experience of that thing is. And music is an interesting one because it demands time. Mm. Do you mean as an audience or as a yeah. performer or both? Or well, both, but yeah. as an audience, for you to experience the whole thing, like the, the artwork, mm. it takes as long as that piece of music. Yeah. And... Certainly, the more time you spend with anything, the more you get from it in any art form. But because it's time-based, that demand on people is is an interesting one. Because mm. it's... Unless, uh, so, there are, there's two different kind of worlds there. One is the the world of, of being a composer and you're writing music and, and that is very fundamentally time-based in that there's a beginning, a middle and an end and you have to experience the whole thing to get to the picture. And then there are other things where it is more about shaping uh, an environment and you can dip in and out. Mm. However, so like installation work where things are 
static, long form but static. So you could be in there for two hours and it will continuously evolve, but ultimately the experience is consistent. Those are two really interesting ways to think about work. Mm. So where some things are do inherently have more of a narrative because they have a span of time that they consume that starts somewhere and finishes somewhere, mm. where other things exist to exist and you choose to be in them for as long as you want. Yeah, um, the flicking between those things I find quite interesting. Mm. It's mm. more based on a concept that's being reflected through an experience of time. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, as, as, as I'm thinking about it, the last mural that I just painted was had a very strong narrative behind it. But I don't think anyone would is going to get that directly from looking at it. And that's, that's fine. You know, it's more like um, you can have it... It's motivated by this narrative, but you don't need to know the narrative to get an experience from it. Yeah. Mm. Well... <laughs> Run out of time. We're going to run out of time. <laughs> it's a, worth taking a moment um, now that we're at the end of the year and the end of this first run of Creatively Wired to thank all of the guests that we've had on. The knowledge and sharing and insights have been so epic. We, we talk often after recording about the beauty and the differences and similarities between each person and that everyone has their own kind of approach and the thing that they're exploring but there's these little kind of moments of mm. of similarity and it's it's been a real joy to spend time with each artist and to learn that and thank you to the listeners for coming on this journey with us and and thanks to Free FM as well for hosting the the show mm. anything that you want to add as we finish up no it's just been a total honor to be able to share all these ideas and and um hear all these things from different artists so um we will be back in 2021, but we are looking at doing more releasing these as a series. So we're going to take a break and come back sometime next year. Date to be confirmed, but it's a temporary pause before we release the next round of podcasts. Awesome. Have a great summer, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.